Amen. In way of announcements, there's a thank you note in the bulletin for all of you who helped with Vacation Bible School. We had 91 kids in Vacation Bible School. We had 43 workers, and we fed all those people every night. So we fed about 500 meals across four days. Uh, we gave away about 100 T-shirts, and it was, it was a great week. Uh, please read my thank you note in the bulletin or on the announcement screen. I could tell, by the way, some of you were acting this morning. You need a good shot of Vacation Bible School. You need to come up here and, and sit and learn to worship like the kids do. That's why some of us were making some motions. And I'm going to make my motions every time I sing those songs because those motions get me involved in worship. We need to learn how to worship a little bit and get fired up. And I know you're tired. Some of you were up here all night just like me. I left here a little after 10 Friday night, got up at 4.30 Saturday morning, went to the farmer's market. I'm 62 years old. If I can do that, you can have some spizzerinkum this morning. So now, I was 17 years old. I want to tell you a story about something that happened to me. I'd been a Christian since I was eight years old. The home I grew up in was a Christian home, but I wouldn't call my home a committed Christian home. We went to Sunday school on Sunday, and then we went to preaching. We called it preaching. Uh, you remember back in those days, we called it preaching. We stayed for preaching if we didn't go to Grandma's house. If we didn't, went to Grandma's house for lunch, we had to skip preaching because Grandma's house was five minutes away from the church, and we might not get there when everybody else got there. So we skipped preaching, went straight from Sunday school to Grandma's house. You know uh, the drill. And we never went on Sunday night or Wednesday night. My family never went on Sunday night or Wednesday night. Didn't know, have a clue about what happened on Sunday nights and Wednesdays. But to my parents' credit, when I was a small boy, they would gather me up in their bed every night and they would read to me from a Bible story book. I still have that Bible story book to this day. Every night we'd climb up in their bed and read and that had an impact. And my parents also made sure that I was in Sunday school every Sunday, and if there was a Bible school, that I was in Bible school. So I was taught the Bible as a child, while teachers, some of you will remember, the days when the teachers held up the big teaching pictures and showed us Bible characters and scenes out of the life of Jesus. And so when I got old enough and brave enough on Sunday night, I walked to church without my parents. And on Wednesday night, I went to church without my parents. I love the Bible. And as a young teenager, I developed a habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. And every night before I went to bed, I had a little Bible that my mother had given me when I was nine, lying on the side of my bed. And I read from that Bible every night before I went to sleep. I couldn't go to sleep unless I did. And one night while reading that Bible, my hand propped up on, uh, my head propped up on my hand, my Bible lying on my pillow. I read from Luke chapter 4, verse 18, where Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. And when I read that verse, from deep in my spirit came that one word, preach. And I felt like that the Lord had called me, and so captured by that one verse, I became convinced in my own heart that God had called me to preach. 
And for a time, I just treasured that in my heart, wrestling with it in my own spirit uh, before I would tell uh, my, my, the people closest to me. My, I was dating at that time, and so I had a girl I didn't really want to tell uh, because I didn't know how she would respond. I, I was sort of shy about telling my parents, and when I did tell them, they weren't very happy. Uh, not because they didn't want me involved in church. They just didn't think preaching would... They thought I was better than that. I just want you to be honest. They thought I could do better uh, than something like that and, and before I told my church. so, But God still calls people today, and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. So we're going to look at some passages of Scripture from the life of Paul. We're going to focus in on Paul this morning. I may mention some other people, but we're going to focus in on Paul. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul said, he identifies himself as he writes to these Romans, and he says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And then in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul writes, he identifies himself to them, and he says, Paul, an apostle, not sent by men, nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And then in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul sort of explains how it happened. He says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, that doesn't mean that God gave birth to him. That's not what he's talking about. He just says God picked me out way back then and called me by his grace. You might remember that Paul had a moment in his life when he sort of ran into Jesus Christ on a road to Damascus. He was out of God's will, and he heard Jesus speak to him. And in a subsequent, subsequent meeting with a man who was sent to his home to lay hands on him, we learn that Paul had been chosen by God. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, the Lord spoke to Ananias about Paul and said, He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. So we see that, and in, in, I'm trying to paint you a picture before I get to the heart of the message. Even back in the Old Testament, when God called Jeremiah to be a prophet, he revealed to Jeremiah that long before he was born, God had chosen him. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 Verses that are real special to me, they're not going to be on the screen because I didn't want a confusion make you think we were talking about Jeremiah when we were talking about Paul. But these verses apply. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. And so you see, before Paul or Jeremiah were ever called by God, uh, before they ever knew they were called, another significant moment had taken place. God had chosen them. So here's number one, point number one, if you like to write these down. The call is a matter of God's choice. God's choice precedes the call. God's call is not something you choose. It is something you're chosen to do. I wouldn't have chosen to be a preacher 
for all the gold in California, I wouldn't have chosen to be a preacher. Not, I just wouldn't have chosen. It wouldn't have been something, wouldn't have been my choice of things to do. You may not think that you're the kind of person that God would choose. Paul was certainly not the ideal candidate when, when God confronted him. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul said, I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. But Paul had been chosen prior to the time of his birth. We look at verse 15 again of Galatians 1. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, God had a different plan for Paul's life. Amos was an Old Testament prophet. And he admitted that he had no prior qualifications uh, when God called him. He said, uh, I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. I'm just a herdsman and a tender of sycamore figs. But God took me from following the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. So here are two men that heard God's call Early in life. And what about being qualified to be called? Well, there are no qualifications that make a person called by God. Paul said in Galatians 1.15 that he was called by God's grace. Nobody's worthy to be called. Uh, uh, for Paul, salvation and the call came together. He wasn't even saved when he got called. But he was, it, it all happened at once. God's choice of a person. You might say, God would never choose me. But look, God's choice is not made on the basis of what a person is at the moment or where they are in their spiritual experience. God's choice is made on the basis of what that person will be or what that person will become because God has chosen them. God's call is not something you choose. It's something you're chosen to do. It's what you're doing right now. Let me ask you a question. Is what you're doing right now, what you've been doing all your life, is it something you chose or is it something God chose for you to do? I consider that to be significantly different. Have you considered that God might have a special purpose, a special calling for your life? So God's choice precedes the call. God chooses you from before the time of your birth. Number two, God uses the course of your normal life experiences to prepare you to receive the call. God knows where you are today. If He wants to call you during the course of this sermon, He has planned it. He planned it. And your presence here is a divine appointment. And without your knowledge or your approval, He's been shaping you and guiding you toward your destiny. I can look back and see God's providential preparation in my life. I see that when I was a small boy... God was shaping me to be a pastor. As a matter of fact, uh, in 2010, I was in my 50s. Someone brought a picture to my mother that we did not know existed. Now you consider at that time for 10 years, I had been a pastor of a church, big church with a big cross behind me. And it was a picture of me in the first grade. And I was standing on the stage with a bunch of other children and I was up front, had a little bow tie on, little skinny boy, and right behind me was a white cross. God said to me, you see, I've been preparing you all your life. What could God be preparing you to do? Did you know that Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's household as a son of Pharaoh? 
And then he spent 40 years in the wilderness. And every single one of those days, without his knowledge, he was being shaped for God's purpose. So, God, God's choice precedes the call. Then, every experience of life shapes you for what God has called you to do. And number three, God appoints the one he's chosen Now, this appointment seems to be the moment in time when God knocks on the door of your heart and says, hey, it's you. I'm after you. I have a purpose for your life. Galatians 1.15. But when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb, and then called me by His grace. One of the things I want you to know, and I may say it again in a little bit, is that God never calls the wrong number get a lot of scam calls today, don't we, on our cell phones, a lot of robocalls, and we get so sick of them. God never calls a wrong number. God never addresses your heart and says, I have a plan and a purpose for your life and makes a mistake. In Acts chapter 26, verse 16, Jesus said to Paul, But arise and stand on your feet, for this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. So this time of appointing seems to be the time when God reveals His plan to the person He's chosen. In other words, God could have chosen you, and you not even know it. You have no clue until one day when you're 17 or 27 or... 37 or 77. Moses was 80. God knocks on the door of your heart or confronts you at some moment in your life and says, I have a plan for you. I've had it since before the time you were born. I haven't told you until now, but I'm letting you know. How can you know if God's calling you? He will reveal it, and when He reveals it, you will automatically know what he's saying. Your first reaction will be, no, no, never, not me. Uh, Jeremiah said, alas, Lord God, I don't know how to speak. I am but a youth. And God said, don't tell me that. Don't tell me you're a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And everything that I command you, you shall speak. God may have been speaking to some young person in recent days and God may have called you and you may feel unqualified. Let me tell you, Billy Graham was unqualified. Moses was unqualified. Paul was unqualified. I'm unqualified. That has nothing to do with God's call. You've been chosen, providentially prepared, and appointed. God never calls the wrong number. God's choice precedes the call. He providentially prepares that person whether they're working like Amos as a herdsman, a farmer, whether they're working in business, whatever they're doing, God's preparing them for what He wants them to do. And then number four, God equips the one He's appointed. That equipping is the divine enabling of the individual to the task to which he or she has been appointed. In Jeremiah 1.9, Jeremiah said, Lord, I just can't do this. I can't. I'm not a talker. I don't know how to talk. I'm just a boy. And in Jeremiah 1.9, the Lord stretched out His hand, and Jeremiah said, and He touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. 
In Acts chapter 9, 17, Paul, God equipped Paul in this way. Ananias, who didn't want to go see Paul, he didn't want to go. He said, that guy will kill me. He's trying to kill every Christian. I don't want to go over there. But he went, being sent by God, entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, on Paul, he said, Brother Saul, his name was Saul at that time, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you're coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus came to Nazareth, he picked up the scroll of Isaiah and read these words testifying to his divine enablement. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. The appointing, the call is nothing without the anointing. God still calls people today. God's choice precedes the call. It's your destiny. God's chosen some of you. God providentially prepares the one He's chosen. Then God appoints. He calls the one He's chosen. And God never calls the wrong number. Then God anoints the one He's appointed. He endues that person with power from on high. He places His special touch upon that person's life to enable them to do what He's called them to do. Now, perhaps you know what it is to be called by God. Let's just face it. Uh, Sometimes we get called by God and we put it on the shelf somewhere. We put it on the shelf and we say, well, God called me and I didn't do that. I, I did something else. And we put it on the shelf. Not only so, sometimes God calls us. But something happens between us and God and we lose the anointing that we once had. You lose the blessing of God. Now you no longer sense the special touch of God upon your life. And you no longer see His activity in and around your life. Sadly, it's not only a call person who can lose his or her anointing. I want you to listen to me now. It's also called churches. A church that was once greatly used of God can become so degraded spiritually that God can no longer use it as it is. It was chosen, called, appointed, and anointed, but now it sits a shell of what it was. What needs to happen in the lives of called people and called congregations who lose fellowship with God and so lose the sacred anointing that once rested on their lives? Well, it's called revival. You know, we assume, most of us do, especially in the church, that America was a very spiritual nation from the outset, that it was a, quote, Christian nation from the very beginning. J. Edwin Orr, noted uh, historian on revival, says that at the time of the revolution, out of a population of 5 million in America, there were 300,000 confirmed drunkards. Illegitimacy soared as well as robberies and all kinds of crime. In Kentucky, in Kentucky, there was only one court of justice held in five years, and Kentucky was a harbor for criminals. It was lawless. 
One of the largest congregations in New England was congregational. In 16 years, the pastor had not added one young person and said he felt more like a chaplain to a funeral home. Methodists were losing members in droves. Baptists had their worst season. Some denominations were uniting rather than disbanding. One prominent politician of the time said the church was too far gone to be saved. And it seemed as though Christianity was about to be ushered out of the affairs of men because those 13 colonies had lost their anointing from God. And there was a new urging in that period of time on both sides of the Atlantic for people to set aside a single day a month to pray for revival because apparently things were in bad shape in the Christian world. So Jonathan Edwards subscribed to that movement. And so did another man after him, a young man named William Carey. You've heard that name. He helped fan the flame. The Second Great Awakening uh, began in 1792 and spread all over the British Isles and across the Atlantic to New England. They joined this emphasis on praying one day a month for revival. They called it over here, we called it the Concert of Prayer. And in 1797, revival broke out in the Connecticut Valley and spread all across New England and the Middle Atlantic states. A church of 200 became a church of 800. Revival had come to America because the anointing of God that was missing had fallen. Does such an anointing of God need to fall fresh on your life and on your church. If that anointing was vital for Paul and Jesus and Jeremiah and all of God's men, it's no less vital for those that God calls today. You see, not, God not only calls individuals, but He also calls churches for a special purpose. And He equips them with the power of His Spirit. But to be anointed with God's Spirit, you must make your life available. So I've asked you today, and I've, I've talked to the, to the fifth and sixth graders all week long, just had fifth and sixth grade. I taught them in Bible school for an hour every night, and I said to them, I asked them, do you know God's purpose for your life? They didn't. I didn't expect them to. But I did want them to know God had one. But you're not fifth and sixth graders, are you? Most of you. Most of you are far beyond that. Do you know God's purpose for your life? And what if God was to reveal it to you? What if, how would you respond to that? It needs to be done in steps. Let me show you what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Paul said, but when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I didn't do that immediately he said I didn't immediately consult with flesh and blood nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me but I went away to Arabia and then came back to Damascus where I met the Lord in other words I, I, got, I got all by myself but the first thing you must do if the Lord is calling you is confess that call. And that's not to me and that's not to the church. It's just to God. Acknowledge to God. God, I heard you. I heard what you were saying. 
And you may not know the specifics of it right now or just what or where, but get it straight between you and God. At least get it straight between you and God. Look God in the eye if you can and say, God, I heard you. I know what you said. Second, surrender to that call. Say yes to God, whatever it is. If you have to go away somewhere in the privacy uh, of some quiet spot, uh, some quiet place and say, God, I want to do what you, you said to me. Like Isaiah of old, say, here am I, send me. And third, then acknowledge that call to the people closest to you, your friends and, and your family. Tell the people your call will impact the greatest your parents, your spouse, and give them an opportunity to pray with you and for you. And after I had done that, then I went to see my pastor. And I said, Brother Harris, I know you probably think I'm coming to ask you to marry me because I was dating pretty heavy at that time. This was a little later. I was... About 18 then, I guess. And I said, we got, we got married early back in those days, didn't we? And I said, Brother Harris, I believe God's called me to preach. And you know what I had been doing? Every Sunday night, not every Sunday, but at least once a month, I'd walk down the aisle and take my preacher by the hand and I would say, I know God wants me to do something, but I just don't know what it is. And he said, Eddie, God will let you know. And when I walked into his house that day and I sat down in his living room, he was not surprised. And then when I t- stood up and told my church later, they were not surprised. They all knew. They'd been seeing my life in a different way. God has something for everyone. He has a purpose and a plan for you. I would pray, my prayer would be that you would at least be open enough to say, God, show me. And look, let's just be honest. You say, I'm, I'm retired. Nobody ever told me I was supposed to do that and I never did it. Well, do it now. Do it now. Because God's not surprised that you didn't ask. And that you don't know. But his plan still may be in place. Or it just may be time. Right now. Let's pray. Lord. You've been speaking in this church all week long. To adults and children. You have a plan. Not just for us as individuals. But you have a plan for this church. Would you work your plan to fruition as we say yes to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing?